Uh, doing something different today. You like to do something different? Some of you are like already, oh no, what is she asking us to do? Others of you others are here saying, yes, we get to do something different. Um, and so I was looking at the reality of, you know, I want us to get this. I want us to get the point. I want us to be able to take this home and be able to look at it and re-look at it. And there's a prayer that maybe you'll pray it throughout the week. And so that's why I'm doing things a little different today. Uh, and I wanted to be able to, um, you know, just be able for us to flush this out a bit together. Now, to give you a heads up, uh, after every point, there are some scriptures on your page there. And I'm going to ask some people, now this is, this is really bold. I'm going to ask some people to stand up where you are, not come up here. Stand up where you are and just read those passages of scripture for us. So it's good to hear each other reading, not just myself up here reading those scriptures. Now, I do apologize to those who are watching online. Uh, we have these forms for those to see. And if you're wanting uh, the materials uh, at a later time, we can make those available uh, to you for those online. So we do apologize for that. But we're doing something a little bit different in the house of the Lord. Disciples... <laughs> I'm almost calm. Discipleship Week 7. <laughs> We're not done yet. And uh, Discipleship Week 7. All of life is really about discipleship, isn't it? And so last week we said, okay, we're working on what is a disciple, and we've been working on that over the weeks. And then we looked at last week the reality of, well, how will people know that we are his disciples? And we looked at the reality that Jesus made it very, very clear. He said that people will know that you are my disciples by <coughs> church attendance, by tithing, by doing good deeds. No. People will know that you are my disciples by the love you have one for the other. That's in John 13. And, and in verse 34, just before that, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Also, you are to love one another. Now, I want to say something to you. This is biblical. This is biblical. This love one another is all throughout Scripture. It's all throughout the New Testament. This is not a tag-along. This is not, oh, maybe we should do this. This is the very core, the very crux, the very heart of Christianity. Now, some of you would say, well, Pastor, you've been talking a lot about love. Love, love, love. You know, and we hear so much about that today. All about love. And, and you know, people out there need to repent. People need to be convicted. Yes. Yes, people need to know about the cross. Yes, but we are talking not about those outside the church today. Who are we talking about? Us. And so I'm speaking today to those who have repented of their sins, who have spent that time at the cross, and they know his salvation. And now when you get up from that place of salvation, you are brought and birthed into the church of Jesus Christ. Whether you like it or not, you are part of the family of God. This passage of scripture and what we're talking about in these weeks is about us as the family of God who are already saved. Pray prayerfully, sanctified. And we are to demonstrate this love to one another. And so how do we do this 
love. You know, Pastor, that's great. We all kind of heard it last week. It was kind of generalized. And, and, you know, and I would love to sit down at some point and even flesh out how we could make this, what this would look like in real practical ways. But what we're doing, first of all, before we even do that, we are looking at what is this, how do we do it biblically according to, as, as Dave said for us, the love passage. What does this look like? What is the how? God has told us how. It's here. It is spelled out for us. It is very clear. Right here, and this is what we're working through. Now, hear me right. You know how many times I've read this scripture at a wedding? Because we romanticize it. We think it's, you know, cute and wonderful. And I want to tell you, if you can get this down as a husband and wife, your marriage is going to last. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's, that is something that you need to work on. And it takes two, right, to make it work. And, and yes, it's important. It is the love passage. And it's just taken out of context and often used for romantic love. And it was so funny because one day we had a pastor friend that was planting in Toronto from another denomination. And we would gather regularly for prayer. And he said, you know, it's the neatest thing. He says, I, I offer to officiate at weddings. And I get people of all different faiths and all different religions. And he said, I try to be Christ to them. And I, I really pray over them when I do their wedding. They don't know that. But I'm really praying over them. And I'm, I'm doing a Christian service. But they want that ceremony. And he said, I remember one couple after the ceremony said, you know that, what you read today? He said, yeah. You know that poem that you read? We'd love a copy of that. Can we have a copy of that? And he said, I was just right in here. <laughs> Let me get it for you. And he opened up and showed them 1 Corinthians 13. And so God, God is indeed, uh, you know, giving us this beautiful passage on love. But it was given to who? The church. This was written for the church. And it wasn't written for just any church. It was written for Corinth. The Corinthian church. The Corinthian church where there were all kinds of things going on that shouldn't have been. And this is where Paul writes this passage. So I wanted to do that little bit of a background before we dive into it. So we realize this is the love that the church is supposed to have for each other. And when we say church, are we talking building? The body, the people of Christ. And so hopefully you got a pencil or a pen. If not, the ushers can get that for you. Everybody got a piece of paper? Yeah, they're all okay. I think we're good. The ushers have done a wonderful job, and I thank them for that. And so the first thing that we're looking at today is love is patient, love is kind. Now we know that passage of Scripture. That's how it starts, right? But what we can do to help people... And how we can show our love to one another is we can love others by encouraging them. It says that love is patient. Now, interesting enough, the original word here for patient is not patient with circumstances. Guess what word is used? Patient with people. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Give me patience. <laughs> We're looking for help in the way that we learn to be patient with people. This is the individual who has been wrong, but chooses not to avenge himself. This is the person who is slow to anger, like our Lord is. We are to exercise the same patience that God has shown towards us 
To who? To each other. He says that love is kind. Origen said Christianity often is good, but unkind. Origen was one of the church early fathers. Did you hear that? The church can often be good, but unkind. There's something wrong with that picture. See, we love others by encouraging them. We love others. I know that I'm loved because somebody has poured into my life. Somebody's been speaking truth into my life. What would it mean for young people to be part of a church where the church family is speaking love and truth into their young hearts and lives? What would it mean for a senior or a shut-in to be told how much we love them, how much we appreciate them, how important they are to us, even though we can't see them anymore physically in the building, that they're not forgotten, that they're cared for. See, this is that encouragement where we really do show our love towards one another. Would somebody stand and read our two passages of Scripture from 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, and then Hebrews 10. I don't think it's supposed to be 25, or it's Hebrews 10, 2. Would somebody stand? It'll be a long service. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Amen. Thank you. Love does not envy, number two. And so we are called to pray for one another. Do you know, it means a lot when I'm going through something really difficult. And I'm not just saying, say that phrase that we just get rid of people and their problems. Oh, I'll pray for you. I hope and pray that you're only saying that to people because you will pray for them and take the time to pray for them. But what does it mean for someone to know that I'm going through difficulty, but a brother or sister is continuing to pray for me? Some of you don't know, but I'm messengers sometimes. There are even people in the community that I've had a connection with that have gone through very, very difficult times. And I don't say a lot of words, but I'll go on their private messenger and I'll put praying hands. That's it. That they'll know that somebody's praying for them today. What would it mean for us to say to each other once in a while, I'm praying for you. God put you on my heart today. And so this envy that it's talking about, there's two kinds of envy. There is the envy where I want to covet your possessions. There is also the envy that I begrudge what you have. I'm not pleased that your family is doing better than my family. I'm not pleased that you got the new car and I'm still having to drive the old jalopy. <coughs> so this is that envy that if we're not careful that can take hold. See, truly, if we're going to pray for people, why I pray for somebody is I want the best for them. I said this many years ago, but the word in Italian for wanting the best for someone, when they say love, you know, we think amore. How many of you have heard amore? Well, amore is what a, is a romantic love that you say, right? But the love that you would say to a child, or the love you would say in the church, or the love you would say to a friend is to voglio bene. Do you know what that means? I want the best for you. I want the best for you. When I pray for you and you pray for me, what we're saying is we want the best for each other, only the best, God's best. And so we don't envy 
each other and what one has and the other doesn't. Would somebody read our passage from James 5, 16, please? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Amen. Amen. So we pray for each other. Love does not boast. It is not proud. And so we are called to act humbly towards one another. See, love doesn't go around bragging. Love doesn't have to prove anything or prove a point. Love, loving others mean we put them above ourselves. We talked about last week that it is this self-emptying, sacrificial love. I remember I said to you, it's not sentimentalism. It's not emotionalism. It is a, a, a choice. It is of my will. It is a volition. And so I choose to put myself in a lower position than you. It is the self-emptying, sacrificial love that our Lord has demonstrated to us. You know, it's interesting. C.S. Lewis said this, and I thought this was a very profound statement. Now, I'm going to see if you can get it. Got your thinking caps on? Humility is not thinking less of you, but thinking of you less. Did you get that? I'll say it again. Humility is not thinking less of you, <clears throat> but thinking of you less. And you see, we can act humbly towards others by taking the time to listen to them, actually allowing them to help us or to bring them along on a project we're working on, including them, showing interest in them and their family. Not going around thinking that you or your family is better than the other. Showing them that they are truly important to you. The greatest example of humility is Jesus himself humbling himself on the cross. Last week we looked at the humbling, humbling when he washed his disciples' feet. God incarnate at the feet of sinful men. You cannot see humility any greater than that. Well, you can, because then he nailed himself, allowed himself to be nailed to a cruel cross. And he demonstrated such humility. Philippians 2 tells us that, that, that he emptied himself. We call that a kenosis passage, the pouring out of self. And we even know uh, Philippians 2 tells us that he pushed aside his divinity. He didn't abuse his divinity. That's the kind of humility that we are asked to demonstrate one to the other. Would somebody read our passage of scripture from Philippians 2 and from 1 Peter 5, please? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Hold yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I think these are scriptures we know, right? We've heard these. And so we act humbly towards others. Love does not dishonor others. And so we are hospitable to everyone. I love that word. I've said it before. Hospitable. Say it with me. Hospitable. <laughs> but that hospitality is that lover of strangers. It's not just opening up your home to the people you like and to your friends. It is even that one you hardly know. You open up your life to them. You see, somebody said that for too often, Christians are very blunt. I would say some Christians are very brash. <laughs> they rub you the wrong way. Very easy. It's easy. 
and but how to learn to still be gracious and to show love to people who have even not showed us courtesy and politeness in the church. To not react in such negative ways. See, this, this hospitable is my love wants to protect you. My love wants to uphold your dignity and care for you. You love like Christ when you don't discriminate. But you accept everyone, regardless of their background. You welcome others that may have a different race, a different political view. God help the church. And treat them with kindness and respect. Now I'm going to say something. We've just come through COVID, when I've seen some of the nastiest things I could see in the church. Right? In our attitudes towards each other. Because everyone was raw. Everyone was hurting. Everyone had a different opinion. And many still have a different opinion about all of this. Whether to vax or not vax, we're not getting into it. Because ultimately, we are to say, as John Wesley said to John Calvin, Brother, give me your hand. Amen. Right? Amen. This is what we're supposed to be about. I have my opinions on that, but I'm not getting up to preach my opinion, hopefully. I'm preaching the word of the Lord. You want to sit with me sometime? I'll give you my opinion. And you probably might not like it, but that's okay. We can still love on each other. See, Jesus welcomed everyone. He played with children. He valued women. He interacted with Samaritans, the half-breeds. He had dinner with the tax collectors, the sinners. He touched the outcasts of society, the lepers. Jesus still welcomes anyone and everyone here today. Amen. That's how Jesus welcomes. And so he's asking for us as the church to have that same welcoming love one for the other. I ask someone to stand and read Romans 15, 7 and 1 Peter 4, 9, please. Amen. Without grumbling. Isn't that interesting? I always found that passage of scripture quite interesting. Because you start doing the dinner and then you start complaining, much like Martha. And we're supposed to show hospitality out of a heart that has been touched by the Lord. Love is not self-seeking. Oh, if there's anything that needs to be said to the church in North America today, in a selfie world, this agape love, this love of God, is not self-seeking. And so we serve one another. We look for opportunities to serve one another. I like what Barclay said, to think less of our rights and to think more of our duties. Did you hear that? To think less of my rights and to think more of our duties. You see, we have received these wonderful privileges. We just celebrated the privileges, didn't we, of the Lord's suffering and death. And, you know, it's wonderful to have the privileges to know that one day I have this glorious, blessed hope that one day I'm going to see Jesus face to face. That's a wonderful privilege to know that I have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and I am never, ever alone. He is with me. There's so many privileges. I am a child of God. Hallelujah, and so are you. Those are wonderful privileges. But like any good family, what comes with privileges? Responsibilities. Duties. 
Ways that we look to serve one another. And I like what somebody said, there is no love without service. Think about it. There is no love without service. Jesus said that he came to serve and not to be served. And he fulfilled this in his life by doing numerous miracles. He didn't just stay up in his high tower somewhere, up in a temple somewhere. He was down where the people were at, and he did miracles to change and transform people's lives. He, he ministered to the sick. He came alongside of the sick. And I can't say enough about our healthcare workers in this church. I pray for you, and I thank you that you come along the side of the sick just like Jesus did. There is no greater example of the heart of Jesus than coming alongside the sick. At their worst hour. Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted. How are you doing with that? <clears throat> got our day all planned out. Got our agenda. It's all written out. It's all supposed. And then a wonderful interruption comes. <laughs> Jesus welcomed the interruptions. That's how welcoming he was and how willing he was to serve people. I was reading this morning in Matthew how he was on the way to raise <laughs> The, the daughter who had passed, and while he's on the way, he's doing all these interruptions and these miracles. And I couldn't help to think that the father that had the daughter who died thought, Jesus, what are you doing? Hurry up. We need to go. And Jesus is like, oh, no, wait, let me serve over here. <laughs> and, and let me serve over here. And he did the miracles while he was on the way to. He welcomed interruptions. He was willing to serve. Barclay said it this way, the moment a Christian goes around talking about their rights, they have drifted from Christian love. Think about it. Would someone read John 13, 14 and 1 Peter 4, 10? If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Amen. Amen. Love is not easily angered. And so we are to live at peace with one another. One of the ways we show the love of Christ is I choose to live at peace with you. It's a choice. You can live at peace with others by not saying hateful comments towards them, not looking to stir trouble or divisiveness, and oh God, by not gossiping about them. When offense arises, we know that God has a biblical mandate that we are to go and seek that person, even before you come and lay your gift on the altar. You are to go and seek that person and work towards reconciliation. Again, it takes two. But at least on your part, you're willing to live in peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are, are not satisfied to lay your pillow at night knowing that there's something going on that isn't correct. Ephesians 4, 3 tells us, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Man, that passage is powerful. This is something that has challenged me over the years in ministry. When it would be so easy to get angry. When it would be so easy to get upset. When it would be so easy to walk out the door. 
that my calling and your calling is not just for pastors. This is for individuals, believers in Christ. It is our calling to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Jesus lived at peace with everyone. He didn't provoke others, nor did he let himself get provoked. He didn't look for fights or quarrels. And when the Pharisees even tested him, he often responded with another question back. But he didn't respond with anger, unholy anger. He wasn't provoked. He wasn't reactionary. Oh, I would love to learn that and pray for that for the Holy Spirit to help me not to be so reactionary to things. Would somebody read Romans 12 and Galatians 5, please? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Amen. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. Yes, Love keeps no records of wrongs. Ooh. Now this one is very like, you can learn this. <laughs> We're called to show love with forgiveness. One of the greatest ways to show that I love you is I'm willing to forgive you. Right? This is to keep, I like this statement. This is what somebody said the original word here means. This means to keep one's head when everyone else is losing it. Wow. That's a statement. To keep one's head when everyone else is losing it. Sometimes you're the only one that can keep your head in the household when everybody else won't go there. <laughs> See, the actual word here is an accounting term that is used in this keeping, you know, record of wrongs. It's like an accountant who has a ledger, and in that ledger, he's entering. Back in 1986, you said this to me. And in 92, you did that to me. It's keeping this record of wrongs that, whoa, wait a minute, rub me the wrong way, you get the explosion, and they all come out. And I tell you, everything that you did wrong, it's wrong for us as husbands and wives to do that, but it is so much wrong also for us as the body of Christ, because if I have forgiven it, I have given it to the Lord, and it should never be in our mouths or be brought up again. Now, the enemy will try. Hear me right. The enemy will try to remind you of how someone's hurt you in the past or got you upset or let you down or let your family down. And they weren't Christ-like to you. It's so easy to pick it back up again. But that's when you say, oh, Satan, get behind me. I have forgiven that person and I'm no longer dragging that back up. It's under the blood of Christ. So we don't keep any records of wrongs. We decide rather to be reconciled, to forgive. Because forgiveness is a wonderful expression of love. And there cannot be love without forgiveness. Somebody said it this way. It's very powerful. When you harbor unforgiveness, first of all, it's going to destroy you. Because unforgiveness will move, anger will move into unforgiveness, will move into a root of bitterness. And I've seen good, godly, Christian people destroyed. Because they won't forgive. 
It's sad. It's one of the saddest things that you can witness. But they said it this way. When you won't forgive, you decide to be right rather than to be reconciled. Did you hear that? You decide to rather be right than to be reconciled. You choose the situation instead of the relationship. I've said to some people who won't forgive, who will go around quite angry with people, that they're right. And you could say, you know, you are right. And I've said this often to couples, but you're going to be awful lonely. Think about it. You can be right, but it's a lonely walk. Wouldn't it be much better to swallow your pride and be reconciled? Because the relationship that you have with people is more important than being right? That's what Jesus has modeled for us. He has forgiven those around him. And we said last week, one of the most powerful statements he said is when you look at that cross, and even those who were crucifying him, he prays for them in his suffering and says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And the forgiveness of Christ is still here today. And he is willing to forgive us. That's what the cross is all about. He is willing to always forgive us if we come. And so we too, as the Church of Jesus Christ, must be willing to forgive each other. Would somebody read Ephesians and Colossians, please? Ephesians 4, 32 and Colossians 3, 13. Forgiving each other is right there. It's very clear. You know, it's not saying if anyone has a complaint against another. So it says there will be complaints. There will be issues. There will be problems. That's not the point. We're not going around pretending like everything is perfect all the time. The point is being part of the church of Jesus Christ is we accept one another the way we are. <laughs> Imperfect people. And we're willing to forgive. Love does not rejoice in evil. Now, here's a good one for the church. Don't badmouth others. This is taking pleasure in someone else's demise. This rejoicing over evil. I want to tell you, this is a place where believers can go down a very dark hole. <laughs> Talking ill of somebody. And dare we ever talk ill of our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is always, sometimes, if not careful, in the guise of what? Prayer. Oh, you need to pray for so-and-so. Well, why would I? Well, let me tell you why you need to pray for so-and-so. And actually, it's almost like we're enjoying another brother's or sister's or another church's difficulty. This is not of the Lord, my friends. This is an attack of the enemy to drag you into something very, very dark. Complaining, grumbling, speaking ill of others, insulting them, and gossiping does not show love for others. On the contrary, it might lead us into divisions and fights and quarrels and hate. 
The way you love someone is always speaking well of them, or as my great Aunt Rose would say, better to say nothing at all. Remember that statement? To watch our speech, to be careful, to apologize if we've done something or said something we shouldn't have. Jesus did not gossip, nor should we. Jesus didn't say rude things to others. He never complained about how people treated him. Even his disciples deserted him on the worst night of his life, but he never said anything negative about him and about them. Jesus was always reaching out in love. Would somebody read John 6.43 and James 5.9, please? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Amen. Oh, how often we think of the non-believers like the judge is standing at the door. Yet this passage of scripture shows us clearly the judge is standing at the door for us as brothers and sisters in Christ when we're going around grumbling about one another. Here's the flip side of this because some of you have already said, well, pastor, you know, this is just about love and we don't speak bad to each other. But here's the flip side you'll see. But rejoices with the truth. And so there is a time, and it is clearly biblical, and all through Paul's writings, that there is a time to speak the truth in love to people. I love you enough that I'm not going to sweep it under the rug. I'm going to ignore it. Your life is falling apart because sin is in your life, and I'm not going to say anything. I have seen that happen so often, not in this church, but in churches in the past, where we don't deal with issues because we just don't want the problems. Well, the truth of it is, if I really love you, and you are starting to slip away, I will privately speak to you. Not speak to everybody else about it, but privately ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance to find a place where I can sit down and speak to you truthfully about my concerns. Now, you have the right to either receive that or not to receive that. But it is so important that we are people who speak the truth in love. Because that's what Christ has done for us. How many times has he said something in our lives and he's put his finger on something and showed us what needs to change? How many times with love in his eyes did he speak to the, to the Pharisees about their hypocrisy and that they needed to change? Or they were not going to be a part of the kingdom of God? So this is when we become now uh, respected as honorable people in the community of faith because we are willing to speak truth in love. Would somebody read Ephesians 4.15 and Colossians 3.16, please? We're almost at the end. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Amen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching <clears throat> one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Amen. Thank you. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Notice the emphasis there of the word always. Always. It's, it's, uh, it's emphasized there, right? It's not just said the once, but 
emphasizes that it's always, it's consistent, it's at all times, when we feel like it, when we don't feel like it, when, you're, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. And so love bears other people's burdens. Christ has been the example of this love, of bearing burdens, in the fact that while he was nailed to that cruel cross, he took my sins upon himself. He took my shame. He took my burdens. Hallelujah. And at the cross, they rolled away. And so if we're going to love one another, we bear one another's burdens. That also means that when you're going through a difficult time, when, when you're mourning, I'm mourning. When you're rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. When you need someone, a, a shoulder to lean on, someone to speak, someone that you know will pray for you, that you have brothers and sisters in Christ, that you don't need to face this alone. That there are those who carry the burden with you. You know, the statement is that with God, no person or situation is ever hopeless. And one of the greatest things you can do to someone who feels at that moment, the dark night of the soul, who feels that the situation seems hopeless, is someone to come alongside of them and speak hope that God can change the situation, that God of comfort can move into your grief. It is so important for us not just to have great times together. Yes, we do. We look forward to that. We look forward to next Sunday and having a celebration. But there are times when we need to get on our knees at an altar and weep together. That's the body of Christ. It's not just always showing and wearing the mask that everything in my life is okay, it's perfect, there's no problems. I don't get to bear your burden if you don't share your burden. And so it's not saying you have to stand up on Sunday and tell everybody in the church. But you can find a few brothers and sisters in Christ to share your burden with you. And you can be willing to share the burdens of others. That's what the body of Christ is all about. Who would read those scriptures for us, please? <clears throat> was one, I believe. Galatians 6 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6 2. Amen. So there's a lot to think about there. Hmm. Has some of it challenged you today through the Holy Spirit? Is he been challenging you on every one of us is different? There's different areas that we would be working on and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal. And as Dave emphasized and we see emphasized here, that that first part of verse 8 there, Paul makes it very clear to the church in Corinth, love never fails. You can always err on the side of love when it comes to brothers and sisters in Christ. It won't fail. Take the high road. Take the loving road. Take the forgiving road. Take the serving road. Be an example of Christ. This is our calling. This is who we are. And so this, as I said, it is a commitment. It is of my mind and of my will. It's not your emotions. If we could get that through, it's not emotionalism. It's not sentimentalism. It is I choose to love you no matter what. I'm committed to you. Because I'm committed to Christ. This is my church family. This is where I'm committed. And I am committed to Christ and I'm committed to you. And I'm going to love you. I hope you're going to be nice, but I'm going to love you, <laughs> even when you're not nice. Paul insists this love isn't weak, it's essential to Christian living. 
It is this love that will last into God's new kingdom. The pettiness that were, was going on in the church in Corinth, the things that they were arguing about, the things they were splitting over, the things they were fighting for would not last for eternity. So why were they putting so much energy into it? What lasts for eternity is our relationships, our relationship with Jesus Christ, and the love we have for one another. Love carries on into God's new kingdom. That's why we're called to love. And it starts right here in God's house. Man, that's a long list. That's a big job. <laughs> but hear this, as we said last week. You can't do it. Only the Holy Spirit can do it through you. But you've got to be willing, when you hear this and reminded by it by the Holy Spirit, you are not to harbor forgiveness. You are not to envy. You are not. You, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life in order to move into this. But it is the Holy Spirit that will produce this love in you and me and in us. Now, here's another practical part today. I have a prayer <clears throat> that I would like us to pray on 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 13. And you have the prayer there. We can always be more loving as a church. We can celebrate our love, right? What we've experienced in years past. But we can be more loving. And praise God, that's a goal that we never arrived. I mean, we've said that as our statement, right? For, for 2022, that... We want it to be the love of Christ here and to show the love in very concrete, practical ways to people outside the church. And so this love can abound, as Scripture says. It can grow. It can be greater. And I, my desire is that people outside the church will begin to hear about us at the Church of the Corner because of the love that we show one to the other. And that will make a difference in this world, in this day, especially so many people are hungry for community, and so many people are hungry for the love of Jesus. Yes, when we love on them, then we'll start to tell them about how much Christ loved them, and look what he did for you, and you need to repent, and you need to come to Christ. But loving them and welcoming them into a loving community gives us the right to bring that truth People have been around on lovingness. I'm not even a proper word, but my new things. People have been around people who are unlovely. They don't need that in the church. People have been beaten up by this world, are disappointed, are hurt. They don't need that from the church. What they're needing from the church is for us to love one another and welcome them in to that community of his love. Would you stand with me and read this prayer if it is something you want to read. If you're not feeling comfortable with it, it would be best not to repeat it with me. But I pray this is your prayer. I do believe it's up on the screen as well. You guys can forward it along on the screen as you follow. Lord, because love is patient, help me to be slow to judge but quick to listen, hesitant to criticize, but eager to encourage, 
remembering your endless patience with me. Because love is kind, help my words to be gentle and my actions to be thoughtful. Remind me to smile and to say please and thank you. Because those little things still mean so much. Because love does not envy or boast and is not proud. Help me have a heart that is humble and sees the good in others. May I celebrate and appreciate all that I have and all that I am, as well as doing the same for those around me. Because love is not rude or self-seeking, help me to speak words that are easy on the ear and on the heart. When I'm tempted to get wrapped up in my own little world, remind me there's a great big world out there full of needs and hurts. Because love is not easily angered and keeps no records of wrongs. Help me to forgive others as you have forgiven me. When I want to hold onto a grudge, gently help me release it so I can reach out with a hand of love instead. Because love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Help me stand up for what is right and good. May I defend the defenseless and help the helpless. Show me how I can make a difference. Because love always protects and always trusts. Help me to be a refuge for those around me. When the world outside is harsh and cold, may my heart be a place of acceptance and warmth. Finally, because love always perseveres, help my heart continually beat with love for you and others. Thank you for showing us what the word love really means. Amen and amen. Now, I've been challenged again by the Holy Spirit. We don't need to sing a song. We don't need sentimentalism. What we need today is to maybe go around and encourage a few people before we leave. Now, you can do that at social distance. You don't need to get up real close and in the face. <laughs> but you can maybe, you have a word that the Holy Spirit has put on your heart that you want to say to somebody today. And just maybe they're needing to hear it. And so receive the benediction and go forth today in his love. The benediction comes from 1 John 4, 7 to 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Go in his love and share it. That's your homework for this week. God bless.